With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. I'm your host Ajit. I know it's been a few weeks between episodes again this time. Well, let's get cracking. First, let's take a look at the ongoing test cricket. So let's begin with the New Zealand and India tests, which have begun uh, with the first test that started in Wellington on the 21st of uh, February. So in this test, well, so far uh, we are in the third inning. So, third day has been completed. Uh, New Zealand looked to be on track to win this one. So, batting first, India made uh, subpar 165. So, in this case, interestingly, Mayank Agarwal did make 34. But apart from him and Rahane, who made 46, nobody really uh, made a telling contribution until Mohammad Shami swung around with the bat to make 31. And uh, 165 scored by India was uh, going to be always subpar on this, uh, well, uh, sporting Wellington. When it comes to the bowling, Saudi uh, took uh, 4 for 49 and uh, Kyle Jamieson, who was debuting, took 4 for 39. And uh, Trent bowled, bowled really well, uh, but he only took a wicket there. When it came their turn to bat, so it was sort of an up and down sort of an innings as well for New Zealand because this one is going to be a very tightly contested test uh, simply because it's going to be a very bowler dominated test. So in this case, New Zealand did really well as they got to 348 in their 100 overs. The top order did well, comparatively for New Zealand, with Tom Lundell making 30 and Ken Williamson making 89. Uh, Ross Taylor made 44. And there were a bunch of teens from Nicholson Watling. But the most telling contribution came from lower down the order, where Colin de Grandholm, who made 43, held the lower order together with uh, Kyle Jamieson, who, along with bowling really well, also made 44 with the bat. And at the end, Trent bowled, batting at number 11, seemed to be hitting balls for Mary and he made 38 of just 24 balls. This meant um, New Zealand got comfortable lead. So we know that on such a tightly contested game, even a lead of 100 runs was going to be very, very tight. But New Zealand got a lead of 160 runs plus. And uh, as far as India goes, I think they were a bit disappointed with the, let's say, the way they were not able to dismiss the tail from New Zealand. This has been a problem that we have seen before with the Indian attack but uh, over the last one or two years they seem to have overcome this but again the old same old let's say problems resurfaced and 
they were not able to restrict the tail of the opposition, which swung merrily. And you know, these 123 runs could be really, really crucial as far as the outcome of the game goes. For India, though, Ishan Sharma, who was struggling off a jet lag, bowled really well to take 5 for 68. Uh, R. Ashwin did take 3 for 99. Uh, you know, it felt Thailanders were able to hit him very easily. Same thing for Bumrah and Shami, both of whom took a wicket, but they seem to be a bit costlier. So when we see that, the let's say the run rate at which both the teams batted in the first innings, India batted at a run rate of 2.42, whereas New Zealand swung merrily and they batted at a strike rate of 3.46. So even though you know India batted 68 overs, they'd only had 165, but New Zealand, who batted just 100 overs, made 348. So this is going to be a very crucial stat as well as we go on with the test. Going on with their second innings, India were up against it. Pratisha was again dismissed for just 14. But that meant, you know, uh, the, there was a bit of pressure on the middle order. Unfortunately, both Pujara and Kohli did not come up with a big score. Pujara made 11 and Kohli just 19. Mayank Agarwal was again looking good. He made 58, but one would have wanted him to carry on. Again, a lot of uh, credit here to the New Zealand bowlers, especially the seamers. Trent Bolt in second uh, inning so far has taken three wickets and Saudi has taken the one wicket for, to fall. So at 144 for four and 39 runs behind, India uh, definitely have their uh, back against uh, the wall. Because in this case, you know, scoring 39 runs is not going to be nowhere enough, but they will want to set a target of at least 150. So that means they are looking at another 180 runs with six wickets remaining. So they have Rahane and Vihari at the crease. Both of whom are set and there is the exciting punts to come and Ashwin. So they'll want some good contributions from these batsmen. So even a lead of 150 can make this a very exciting test going into the last inning. But again, a lot of control being shown by the New Zealand bowlers who you know, restricted India to a run rate of 2.21. As we see this, you know, this is a very uh, bowler friendly pitch and it looks like New Zealand seem to be on course to take this first test. So this will be the first test loss for India if that really happens in the ongoing uh, World Test Championship. So let's see how it unfolds in the upcoming two days. When we look at the other ongoing tests, so this is the Bangladesh versus Zimbabwe test series. So this is again an only test. This is being played at Dhaka. So in this case, Bangladesh seemed to have an upper hand. So at the end of day two, Having dismissed Zimbabwe for 265, Bangladesh have 243 so far. That means, you know, they will probably look to bat once, bat big, as the cliche goes, and uh, ensure that, you know, they are able to win this test match comfortably. So, batting first, Prince Masawure, who was the opener for uh, Zimbabwe, made 64. And uh, Craig Erwin, the captain, who was batting at 3, made 107. Apart from these two really nice scores right at the top of the order, only Regis Chakabwa, the keeper, made 30. But nobody else came up with any meaningful contribution. That meant, you know, in spite of having a couple of good scores in the top three, uh, Zimbabwe were only able to make 265. Again, good controlling bowling by Bangladeshi bowlers. So, uh, Abu Jayad, the fast bowler, took 4 for 71. Naeem Hassan took 4 for 70. And Taizul took 2 for 90. After that, when it came their turn to bat, Bangladesh were a bit more adventurous. Yeah, just like the previous test match, we could see this comparison where Bangladesh are scoring at 3.4 to an over. Tamim Iqbal made 41. Uh, the other opener, Saif Hassan, failed. But uh, Najmul Hassan Shanto, who came at number 3, made 71. And the skipper, Mominul Haq, who is batting at 4, is unbeaten on 79, along with the experienced Mushfiqur Rahim, who is 32 not out. So, we can very well see, for example, in the previous one-off test against Pakistan, let's say the experienced campaigner that Mushfiqur Rahim is, was missed. And it was very visible. In this case, he's back and with some batting power still to add. 
Bangladesh look to be favorites and they look to be able to, you know, put you know, a lot of pressure on the Zimbabwean batting order if they were to take a lead of 200 plus. Right now, they are 25 runs behind, but if they are looking to bat out the third day, I think they'll have the lead that they're looking at. So that means, you know, again, this might be the first test win for Bangladesh for the ongoing test championship. So that will be a very good thing for them. If you were to take a look at the limited overs cricket that's going on, we could start with the West Indies versus Sri Lanka ODI series that's going on in Sri Lanka currently. So the first game of this was played at the SSC Colombo on Feb 22nd. It was a seesaw game in which Sri Lanka came out at top in the last over. So it was a very exciting game if you're a cricketing fan. Batting first, West Indians made 289 for 7 in their 50 overs thanks to you know, good scores by Shai Hope who made 115 holding one end up for West Indies almost nearly throughout the innings. Darren Bravo made 39, Roston Chase made 41 and in the end, you know, there was some lusty hitting from Kimo Paul who made 32 and Hayden Walsh Jr. who made 20. And this is going to be a very competitive total on this pitch. For uh, Sri Lanka, Udana, who was a bit costly, took 3 for 82 and uh, Tessera Pereira and uh, Nuan Pradeep took a wicket each. When it came their turn to bat, Sri Lanka, even though they had solid contributions right from the top four, with, you know, Avishka Fernando making a half-century 50, Captain Karnaratna making 52, uh, Kusal Pereira making 42, and then uh, Kusal Mendes making 20. They sort of stumbled a little, and their middle order had to come to the rescue. The Nanja De Silva made 18, and uh, Tisara Pereira made 32, and in the end, it was left to Vanido Hasaranga, who made an unbeaten 42 to take them home in the last over. It was like a, you know, if you are looking at this match, it was a seesaw match right through, because... Every time it looked like Sri Lanka had managed to gain an upper hand, one of their batsmen threw their wicket away or somehow West Indies came up with something brilliant and took a wicket. And it was never clear how the match was going to finish. Even in the last over, which was bowled by, you know, Kimo Paul, it was still not clear whether Sri Lanka would be able to clinch the game because uh, with one run required and two wickets in hand, they lost a wicket of the first ball to a run out. And with one run remaining, Kimo Paul bowled a no-ball and with that, Sri Lanka won the game. So it was, as I said, a very, very exciting game. Moving on, we also have the, the South Africa versus Australia T20 series ongoing. So in this case, South Africa you know, lost the first T20i. Ashton Agar took a hat-trick to restrict South Africa to just 89, chasing 197. So the first uh, T20i was played in uh, Johannesburg. So in this case, batting first, Australia were able to put on this really, really big score. Alan Finch made 42, uh, Stephen Smith made 45, David Warner had failed, but there were meaningful contributions right down the order, right? That meant Australia were always keeping up with a run rate very close to 10 and over. There were some decent bowling efforts from South Africa. Stein took 2 for 31, Pelukwaya took 1 for 35, and then Shamsi took 2 for 31 as well. But the backup bowlers were a bit costly, and so was Rapada, uh, who's coming back into the squad. Uh, he considered 45 runs of just three overs. Engidi considered 37 of his three hours as well. That meant they were always up against it. So it's always not going to be easy chasing in Joburg. But uh, they made a really bad job of it, South Africa, because apart from Flav Duplessis, who made 24, and then Pete Van Billion was debuting and he made 16. And Kahisora Bada in the end swung to make 22. You know, They narrowly avoided the lowest score, which is 84, in a T20I in Joburg. And they made just 89. So Ashton Agar took a hat-trick. Uh, in which uh, he was able to dismiss um, Fafti Plessy, followed by uh, Pelukwayo and Dale Stein of consecutive balls. And uh, that meant, you know, South Africa, if they had any fighting chance, that was dismissed right then and there. And what remained was just an academic interest, whether they'll even make a competitive total in this match. But, uh, you know, that even that was not going to be possible. So 
he took a 5-4. He finished with 5-24 of his 4 overs. And that's the best combined figures on this ground, Joe Berg, in a T20I. The same as the Bhuneshwar Kumar who did this earlier uh, in 2019. So he was ably supported by the other spinner, Zampa, who took 2-9 for nine of 2.5 overs and 2-13 for 13 from Patrick Cummins. So with this, you know, Australia were able to go one love up in the series. Uh, we are recording this episode even as the second uh, T20A is just coming to a close. So this was a very closely contested game, which was played at Port Elizabeth. So in this game, uh, South Africa batted first, and uh, they were only able to make 158 for four, in spite of having gotten to a really, really good start. So in this case, uh, Quinton de Kock, the captain, made 70 of 47 balls, and he was ably supported by a couple of teams from Reza Hendricks and Fafi Plessy. And then once him and Hendrik van der Dusen joined forces, it looked like South Africa might even make 200. But then towards the end, Australia were able to come back by dismissing the cock and then van der Dusen quickly. And uh, even though David Miller and you know Pete van Bielen tried, they could not really you know take South Africa to let's say at least 170 or 180, which would be considered par on this pitch. So even though South Africa had a slightly below par total, you know they were able to restrict Australia to 146 and take the game by 12 runs. When it came to the bowling of Australians, Zampa took 1 for 37. Kane Richardson, who was playing this game, took 2 for 21. Patrick Cummins took 1 for 31. And Ashton Agar, who had taken a 5-4 in the previous match, did not take a wicket but bowled well to you know, concede just 28 runs of his 4 overs. When it came their turn to bat, Warner stood unbeaten until the end. He made 67 of 56 balls. But the rest of the order sort of did not really follow through with him. So Finch made just 14 of 12. Steven Smith, 29, Carey, 14. And then the rest of the middle order failed in the last three overs or so when you would expect that the remaining runs would be scored rapidly. So in this case, a lot of credit goes to the South African bowling. Kajiso Rabada, 1 for 27. Heinrich Norkia, who was playing T20I for the first time in 2020, took 1 for 24. And then Engidi took 3 for 41. As well as Dwayne Pretorius, who was back in the team, took 1 for 29. So in this case, you can see they were able to make a difference and take the game. In this case, also, what, what was very visible was that in the last, let's say, two overs of a T20I, South African bowlers bowled really well, and Matthew Wade and Ashton Agar were dismissed. But South Africa considered only seven runs of the last two overs. So, Kagiso Rabada, who bowled the 19th over, and then Norkia, who bowled the last over, deserve the credit for you know, finishing off really, really well. Because even at that stage, it looked like you know South, uh, South Africa would probably uh, end up losing this match simply because, you know, 20 runs of a last two overs is very common. Why I say this is just today in the Women's World Cup T20I game, South African team was able to chase down 19 runs against the England women's team to win their game. So, you know, in this case, uh, England women made 123 for 8 and South African women required 19 runs of the last two overs. But in that game, you know, Mignon Dupree came to the fore and she was able to hit the required, let's say, big shots in the last two overs, and she was able to win the game for South Africa. So when we see this, we know indeed that it's not it's not unheard of that a team storms back and takes the game in the last two overs. But so very well done to both uh, Enric Norkia and uh, Rabada. If you were to take a quick look at the ongoing women's uh, T20 World Cup, so there was also a very nice game in which you know India in the opening game of the series. Uh, I would not say stunned the hosts, but it was a very competitive game. And they sort of, you know, caused an unexpected uh, result there. It was probably unexpected given that, you know, in the tri-series leading up to the World Cup, 
the final Indian women had lost to the Australian team. In this case, again, scoring a middling sort of a total 132 runs, which the Indian women's team were able to make, they were then able to restrict Australian women to 115 all out in the last over. So this was a very good effort in the game. Uh, as far as the Indian women uh, batsmen went, so, you know, Deepthi Sharma made an unbeaten 49, Zamaima Rodriguez 26, and Shafali Verma 29. But on a very slow, low track, their spinners really spun a web around the Australian batsmen. And even though, you know, Alisa Healy made a quickfire 51 right at the top of the order, ensuring that there was not going to be a lot of, let's say, run rate pressures through the innings, only, you know, Gardner, Ashley Gardner, who was batting in the middle order, made 34. But uh, there was nobody who made another contribution, another telling contribution. So some big names like Elisa Perry and uh, Meg Lanning failed. And Mooney and everybody else had failed. So as a result, a lot of credit goes to the Indian spinners. So here, um, Shikha Pandey took 3 for 14, the fast bowler who finished it off at the end. But uh, Poonam Yadav was coming back to the Indian team. The leg, uh, leg spinner took 4 for 19 to you know, uh, give India the initiative. She bowls really, really slowly and likes to toss up the ball. So, given the sort of the pitch it was, also there were some very clever, let's say, choices of bowling by the Indian uh, women's captain, Almantrit Kaur, who herself did not bowl. But she used her spinners really well in, you know, Deepthi Sharma and uh, Guy Quad. So, with them bowling very restrictive lines, they were able to put a lot of pressure on Australia and take the game. Apart from this, there have been also a couple of, let's say, good matches where Thailand women who are making a debut and who are really the sure of everybody in uh, the Women's T20I World Cup, they were able to put up a very commendable performance, even though they lost to West Indies. And uh, the women's uh, team of New Zealand were able to win their opening game as well. So it's going to be a very you know, closely fought league stages and uh, we will keep our eye on it as uh, it unfolds. So since there have been a lot of cricket being played over the last couple of weeks, I'll just summarize some of the other results that have happened. So, in the meantime, we know that England uh, won the ODI series 2-1 and were also able to take the T20I series 2-1, the England men's team, when they're touring the South Africa. So, at the end of that uh, tour, they were able to take the T20I series 2-1 as well as the ODI series 2-1. And the New Zealand-India ODI series completely went New Zealand's way, where India lost the series 3-0, having clinched the... Um, T20I series 5-0, so India were favourites going into the ODI series, but suddenly New Zealand were able to fight back. And Ross Taylor, who was sort of struggling to finish off matches, came to the fore and uh, comfortably led New Zealand to victory in the ODIs. These were some of the other cricket that we had missed. Also, I remember in the previous episode, we were speaking of the first test or the only test between Pakistan and Bangladesh, which, you know, it was going to probably finish in Pakistan's favour, we felt. And exactly as we had thought, Pakistan won the game by an innings and 44 runs. So, Bangladesh uh, batted first and made 233, but Pakistan batted once and batted long and made 445. And they were able to then wrap up the Bangladesh second innings for just 168 runs. Naseem Shah, who took a hat-trick, declared the man of the match. So, he's at 16, the youngest ever bowler to take a hat-trick. So, you know, well done to him. And we will definitely all look forward to great things from his career, Naseem Shah. So, we wish him all the best going forward. Now, if you were to take a quick look at the news from off the field, so there is this will ABD Villiers come back, won't he come back debate that's been ongoing in South African cricket for a while. The latest in this uh, twist and turns, uh, Mark Boucher, who's the men's uh, head coach, fortunately added a bit more fuel to the fire, as we say. So he said, if the door is open for ABD, he said yes. If ABD wants to play, he'll go to the World Cup. So categorically, he let the door firmly open as far as ABD Villiers is concerned. And 
Well, it is, it's brought about a lot of mixed reaction from cricket fans around the world. Many people feel he's moved on and rightly so. It's not right on his part to, you know, just before every big international tournament, ask South Africa if he wants to play or whether he hints that he wants to play. We really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know if he always offers to come back and play because we heard the same thing before the, you know, the 2019 Cricket World Cup, the ODI World Cup, where he's said to have had a call with Fafi Plessy and have offered his services. But it seems like South Africa are really not able to close the door on this one. It seems a bit weird that they're still expecting somebody who, you know, has moved on and who's been, you know, playing in the T20 circuits around the world to come back and, you know, suddenly make a difference. My personal opinion is maybe it's time to let this, as great a person as he was and as great a player as he was, let him go. I mean, he's sort of say walked into the sunset. He's done with his career. He should be allowed to have some quality time with his family. Whereas, the yes, there are issues with the current middle order in the South African team. We see that every now and then. But those that are in possession, with the likes of, you know, Fafti Plessy, Henry van der Dijen, David Miller, they are experienced and they should be able to pick it up along with the likes of Pete van Billion or even Henrik Klaassen. So there, there, there is quite a lot of talent there in the middle order and they should be able to pick it up. And you always have some quality all-rounders in Australia, in South Africa, like uh, Dwayne Pretorius and even uh, Pelo Cuayo. So, you know, with these people in the squad, I think they should be able to pick up themselves and play quality cricket. With or without ABD, I'm sure they'll be a great team. But now that he has moved on, I think it's time to probably close the door on that discussion and you know, go full steam ahead with the existing resources that they have in the team. In other news, Fafti Plessy has decided to step down in all formats from as the skipper of the South African team. So we know that he was under pressure with not great results in the you know recent past. So it has come to pass that it, probably it was hinted to him that it was time. He's also 35. So even with his you know experienced presence being in the dressing room, probably somebody like Quentin de Kock can be given an all-format captaincy and allowed to grow into a captaincy role over the next year or so, even while Fafti Plessy winds down his career. It is more or less rumored that Fafti Plessy might sort of bring his career to a close, international career to a close at the end of the coming uh, T20I World Cup. We'll see. We'll wait and watch how that goes. Or maybe he'll play a couple of tests in the home summer at the end of 2020 or beginning of 2021, maybe call it a day. So when we look at his overall record, it's it's not as bad as one thinks because over 36 matches in tests, he won 18 and lost 15. The number of test wins seems reasonable, but also the number of losses does seem a bit high. But these days, with more and more test matches finishing with results, you know, not as many draws as before, probably a number of losses will probably count against him. When it comes to ODIs, we see that he has captained in 39 matches, 128 and lost 10. That seems like a very reasonable number. And same for T20Is. Over 37 matches, he's captained South Africa. They have 123 and lost 13. So when we look at the results, it does show us that maybe... Only over the last six months or so have the results really slipped under his captaincy. But until then, he has seemed to have done a reasonable job as a skipper of South Africa. So nonetheless, I think all fans of cricket around the world uh, would like to say thanks to Fafti Plessy for his services. And we hope he's able to extend his career until as long as he wants in the international game. And yeah, we'll see what has to come for him. In other news, uh, St. Lucia Zooks, the Caribbean Premier League team, have been sold to the owners of Kings Eleven Punjab. So this is, again, a consortium of owners that runs the Kings Eleven Punjab team. And they've been holding this team for a few years already. And, uh, you know, it's led by Mohit Burman, who's uh, also one of the people that run the Kings Eleven Punjab team. And they say that they're very excited to have it. So Red Chilis Entertainment 
uh, as well if you remember owns um, Kolkata Knight Riders and Trent Bagon Knight Riders until now and also Vijay Malia previously owned both Royal Challenges Bangalore and Barbados Tridents so uh, this trend of uh, consortium of owners who own a team in IPL also owning another team in CPL seems to be continuing because this it's called the KPH Dream Cricket Private Limited and these people are again you know have a good uh, stake uh, in the St. Lucia Zooks previously as well so and uh, there was some confusion about the St. Lucia Zooks permission and uh, they were there was some confusion here and there they were called St. Lucia Stars and then they became St. Lucia Zooks in the 2019 that's a version of uh, CPL. So we'll really see how it uh, finishes. Because Darren Sammy, who's from St. Lucia, and also he's he's a captain who's been doing rounds. He's he's the captain of, uh, I think, Pekhavar Zalmi also in uh, PSL. So this guy, uh, we'll see if he's sure retained as a captain under new management and so on. So with the new season of CPL coming up, we'll probably hear a few more things about it. Uh, going on. We have recently heard this inauguration of the Motera Stadium in Gujarat, which is touted to be the biggest cricket stadium in the world with a capacity of 110,000 people. So there is a proposed day-night test that is going to be played here against England. So this is going to be in 2021, nearing the end of the current test match championship cycle. So this means India will play at least two day-night tests in the upcoming period. So one against Australia that already has been confirmed in the Tour of Australia. And this will be the second one. So, you know, a lot more exciting cricket and a lot more exciting news for test match fans and maybe you know maybe this is also a way when the big three are indicating clearly that they want to play a day night cricket maybe this also means icc will consider this and maybe in one of the upcoming uh, test championship cycles they may make it that at least there's one day night test in each series or so I mean, that's not a bad rule to have considering that in many places while we play test cricket we see some loss of time due to uh, light especially when we play in Sri Lanka, India, you know, in the Asian subcontinent. It would be not a bad move to move at least one test each series to day-night to see, you know, can capture the entire time. We also know that there's a discussion of four day tests that are still ongoing and it occasionally rears its head. So all this needs to be, you know, probably put into context and it's going to be exciting times. So as test match fans, we would like to say, we would like to see test match cricket being played. Even if it means if it comes down to four-day tests, we might have to accept it because in this fast-moving world, we will definitely not like it, but we'd rather live with a four-day test rather than no tests at all. In other news, Pragya Noja, he has announced his retirement from uh, international and first-class cricket after 13 years. So he had a very reasonable career for India and he played, you know, his last test was the farewell test match of Sachin Tendulkar. I think we all remember it fondly. So he played 24 tests, 18 ODIs and 60 20 for India. And uh, considering that he took a, you know, 113 test wickets at an average of 30.26, it's not something to be, you know, sitting at. And 21 in ODIs and just 10 in T20Is. But that seemed like he had a reasonable career. Uh, unfortunately, with the advent of others like Ashwin and also some other spinners who've come up over, over time since then, you know, his career was not probably as progressing as well as he would have liked international career. But nonetheless, a stalwart of Indian cricket team and we would like to wish him all the best in the upcoming days with his other future endeavors. We know that PSL is ongoing now and I, we just discussed earlier that Sami is captaining the Pekhawar Zalmi team again. So related to that, you know, Sami has been a very uh, vocal, let's say, supporter of international cricket coming back to Pakistan. And he, in fact, played all the matches that uh, his team, Zalmi, played in Pakistan 
and he was also even heard talking to people we we hear behind the scenes trying to convince more international cricketers to come play at least the, in the PSL in recognition of all of this all of his services to Pakistan cricket Pakistan government are planning to make him an honorary citizen of Pakistan and then even the top civilian honor which are which is nishan e Pakistan there are rumors that this might be given to Sana so that's very good news so this guy seems to be really you know an ambassador for cricket no matter where he goes we know that he's very popular in uh, all the parts of the world wherever he plays because of the brand of cricket he plays and you know how he plays it so congratulations to Darren Sami and uh, you know we wish him all the best and we hope he returns to Pakistan and other parts of the world to play more cricket now if you were to take a look at the trivia section so the question from the previous episode was when was the last time that a captain of a cricket team in an ODI who was also the opener and the wicketkeeper scored 100 before the game in which in the odis versus england that uh, quinton de kock did it so the previous such instance before quinton de kock was adam gilchrist versus sri lanka in 2006 so this question was hinted to us or came to us from a tweet by kaustub on twitter at kaustats so we would like to say thanks to him so this episode's trivia question is who is the only west indian wicketkeeper to have scored 100 and affected at least four dismissals in an odi So if you have been keeping your eye on the ongoing cricket you'll probably realize that there is one such match and in this game it it might have happened all right then if you want to give us the answer to our trivia question you can get in touch with us using our mail id amchair.cricket@gmail.com or using our twitter handle which is @amchaircricketpod you could also leave it as a comment on any of the multiple platforms on which our uh, podcast is available feel free to do that as we always say our listeners are our strength if you listen to our podcast and you like it do let your friends who are also other cricket fans know about it this is the way we can you know become more popular and the more people listen to us the more you know good we feel about it and the better content we can come up with. again with this ongoing juggernaut of cricket that we see such a lot of cricket that comes up lot more tests india new zealand tests also we see zimbabwe sri lanka tests so plenty of cricket coming up so we hope you continue listening to all our episodes and encourage us in the same way so it's a goodbye from me thank you very much and have a very good day bye bye you're listening to the armchair cricket podcast